Welcome to the On Target Living Podcast, a place where health and human performance meet. Welcome, everyone. This is Chris Johnson at On Target Living, obviously, here. And this is kind of a unique podcast today. I have our creative director with us today, Stephen Glenn. And Stephen is going to be kind of just him and I going to kind of hang out today. Everybody's on vacation. It seems like they're either traveling or having kids or who knows. <laughs> what, what is everybody doing today? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think Matt's in uh, Virgin Islands, and I'm not sure where Kristen and Don are, and Mark is around here somewhere, but uh, we have a great team. I'm just kind of making fun of them. But we thought we'd have a podcast today a little bit about some case studies. Each and every day we get questions concerning different things. And so I thought it'd be a good idea just to have a conversation today with Stephen and I talking about some different things. So anyway, Stephen, uh, welcome to the On Target Living podcast. Glad to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. So do you have any questions right off the top? You've been with us since January of 2019. So Stephen's kind of entrenched in the On Target Living. He's right here at our headquarters. And um Anything you want to start with? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I definitely pulled some some of my family members, things like that. And of course, I have my own questions. And then some of our fans have written in and asked different questions, things like that. So we have a wide variety of questions. Um, I guess one big question is, you know, we talk all the time about acid reflux, you know, kind of plaguing the nation, like, you know, commercials, everything, it's acid reflux all the time. What is it? Well, acid reflux is an imbalance of the pH. And so unfortunately, the way we treat it is usually some kind of a proton pump inhibitor or some kind of acid blocker. So it starts maybe sometimes really innocent. You know, I just got that that bad taste in my mouth. I remember when I was a kid, We'd have a big Sunday dinner, and then I would go ba- play basketball across the street, and I'd have this nasty kind of taste in my mouth. And I was realizing at the time that was acid reflux from eating uh, a gigantic roast beef and, and all the stuff that goes with that. So it's a digestive health issue, and it's turning into a major problem because once you start giving people some type of uh, acid blockers or you start messing up with a natural digestive process – leads to a lot, all sorts of stuff. And we're seeing gout and IBS and the list goes on. So really acid reflux begins where the acid's going up. It, it can move into like an IBS which or uh, Crohn's or even things along that lines, and that's going down. But it's an imbalance of the pH. So if you're trying to help people with acid reflux, number one, you got to step back and say, okay, what is causing my acid reflux? Again, back to you know, are you treating the the symptom or is it coming from the source? So really an easy way to improve pH balance in the gut is as simple as putting a lemon in your water. And lemons are very acidic by by nature, but by digestion, they're very alkaline. And then the other thing too, you can take it to the next level, you can start adding ginger or you start eating more whole foods. And I like to tell people, if you can eat an apple on a regular basis, it's going to do amazing things for your acid reflux. So again, as people start eating more whole foods, less processed foods, maybe they cut back on their caffeine and stress. These are all related to digestive health issues. But again, we got to step back and say, hey, number one, what's my symptom? What's causing my symptom? And then number two is how do you fix it? That's the source. Again, an acid blockers we all know is not, I mean, it might help you short term, but it's not going to fix the problem. So again, a big thing I want everybody to realize as you're listening today is that we really will t- tackle uh, the source versus the symptom, and that that's how you begin with 
acid reflux going back and how do you change the pH. And any t- type of fruit is going to make your body more alkaline. So all these diets out there that are people are cutting out their fruit, they're probably not going to have good digestive health. So again, that's a big, big one right away, as you said, the digestive health issues, including acid reflux. Right. Is, is gout related to acid reflux? Yeah, gout is again. We, in fact, I'm going to be writing uh, a blog about this soon. And my wife Paula actually kind of inspired me to talk about kings and queens. So as way back in the, you know, way back in the day, all the kings and queens that was the the sign of a affluent lifestyle. And so you were well off. You had lots of money and. You had a you had a lifestyle that was very unhealthy, and part of that was gout. So again, it's uric acid building up, and it's a pH imbalance. And many times, people in a super painful, it usually hits in the big toe. It's like a throbbing toothache in the toe. And it was interesting. Years ago, I had a couple of people, you know, were asking me, "How do you fix gout?" And I said, "Well, we can do it short term. And what you do is you take food grade baking soda. You take one tablespoon." And you put it in six ounces of water, and you take that four times a day. So I get this call about a week later, and all these folks were saying, I got to tell you that acid reflux and, and my gout, and all this has disappeared because gout, if you ever have gout, is super painful. And they said, how does that work? I said, well, food-grade baking soda is you know, 12.0 on a pH scale. That's what all these medications do. So but it's not fixing the problem. I said, you guys are probably drinking too much alcohol, and they all kind of agreed. <laughs> but gout is a real sign of there's something going wrong. And usually I'm drinking too much alcohol. I have too much stress. I'm eating too much processed foods. And again, back to very similar to acid reflux, if you can change your pH, you're probably never going to have gout. That's why I tell people if you're doing wheatgrass or spirulina chlorella, it's almost impossible to have acid reflux and gout. Right. That's awesome. Um, gout is not awesome, but <laughs> if you have you know gout, I mean. you'll do anything to. And again, the medications for gout are very, very taxing on the liver and the kidneys. So again, it's something that you really need to step back and say, okay, how can I actually go after the the source of the problem, not fixing the symptoms? Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So you mentioned um, you know wheatgrass spirulina. Can you go over your your daily rituals? Um, or morning rituals, lunch, whatever, if you want to go through your day. Um, you know, I know people are always asking, you know, how do you fit all of these different things into your into your day and your busy schedule? Well, again, we really try to promote, as you know, uh, going to the source. And so really anything that we sell on our website, we really are going after the source. And the second piece is, is how do you help people develop habits? And so the, the stuff I'm going to share with you right now, this took me time to develop. But the first thing I do when I get up in the morning, I take five ice cubes of wheatgrass. I suck on the ice cubes. I like the taste of them. And then uh, second piece is I'm taking my cod liver oil. So I'm usually taking a couple of tablespoons of that. And then from there, I'm eating. So usually I'm eating my oatmeal on the run. Or if I'm going to work out, I'll maybe eat a little later. And then the spirulina chlorella is later in the day. And I'll usually do 20 five to 50 of those babies if I'm traveling. And then uh, I'll do some flax and chia here and there. I put cacao on my oatmeal. So again, it's just real simple things to start your day. I was, I wrote, I just wrote an article. Uh, I think you got to peek at it. Yeah. But I was writing about the habit of drinking coffee and not trying to beat up anybody drinking coffee. But the, the point of it is 70% of our population drinks coffee. 
So you got to ask the question. I remember back in the day when I worked on the assembly line at Olsenbill when I was in college. And all the folks around me were always trying to get me to drink coffee. Hit a coffee break. You want me to get you some coffee? I'm like, no, I don't even like the taste of coffee. So I'm not trying to beat it up. I'm just sharing that 70% of the population, we consume 4 billion cups of coffee in the United States wow. every year. So I wrote an article recently about imagine if the entire country, the United States, got up and took a tablespoon or two of cod liver oil. Because I started looking at Norway. In Norway, the Norwegian secret for health is they treat their morning like we treat our coffee. They get up in the morning and take cod liver oil. They don't have type 2 diabetes in Norway. It's basically non-existent. In the United States, we have 35 million type 2 diabetics, and we're probably going to have 100 million in the next five to eight years. So again, my morning ritual is something that just took me time to develop, and now it's a habit. I get out of the morning and do the same thing. And I think that's what we're, our goal, as you know, it's how do you build habits one step at a time, and that's that's basically what I start with. But I, I always tell my, you know, when I, we're doing speaking that, I didn't do all these habits in one day. I started developing over over the years, and it's taken me quite a year. But now I, it's an automatic pilot. I do the same, pretty much the same stuff. And I'm always trying to add new things, trying to always try to think about what's new. I mean, I, I never really did much ginger until the last year. But ginger, as we all know, your mom used to give you ginger ale when you had an right. upset stomach. So anyway, that's my morning ritual. Yeah. All right, Chris, can we talk about stress? You know, what What are some tips? What are some secrets? How do you handle stress? Talk to us a minute about stress and give us some pointers. Yeah, there. it could be uh, about five podcasts, don't you think? <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, a couple of things I'd tell people, number one, about stress. Number one, it's physical. So anytime you feel threatened, financially, emotionally, it doesn't matter. Environment, it's hot outside, it's cold outside. That's basically your body is physically has to adapt. So stress is not a good thing. You always think stress good or bad. Arousal is really what we're after. But too much stress, the body has to compensate. And so the body, heart rate goes up, blood pressure goes up, all those things start to happen. So stress is uh, is never a good thing. Um, the, the second piece is most stress is what we say to ourselves. We play the same record over and over and over. We all do this to a certain extent. And we always talk about, you know, are you opening the bottle of wine before it's time? Are you really thinking about stuff that really is never going to probably happen or maybe, you know, un it's unlikely to happen? But we all do that. You know, I mean, sometimes I think about payroll for on target living. Are we going to make payroll? Are we going to be able to cover, you know, we built this brand new building. So there's things always in the back of my mind. But then I step back and go, OK, is that really? And then you start thinking about solutions and things like that. So that's the beginning piece. We're designed to do fight or flight. So we see the bear, we run from the bear, we fight the bear, but that's not really what's happening, especially in the United States, it's the chronic stuff. It's the day in and day out, constant threats that keep beating people up. And on top of that, we're not getting enough recovery. And so if you don't have enough recovery, enough space, that's one of the reasons Matt and I wrote Capacity, was we started hearing the same thing from more and more people. People were saying the same thing. I love what I'm doing. I love my life, but I have no space. And when people have less space in their life, they don't have enough time to recover. You know, I always ask the question, how many of you have ever been on a treadmill for 30 minutes? Most people have raised their hand or they've gone for a walk. 
But how many of you take five to 10 minutes of complete stillness? We just don't do that. Right. And so part of our stress, in fact, I just spoke at this healthcare forum today, is that we're not thinking about this uh, from a, a training. We need to really get involved in teaching people how to quiet the mind, how to focus their attention, how to do diaphragmatic breathing, how to get a good night's sleep. We don't teach people how to get a good night's sleep. And so if you're not getting enough recovery, you can see how stress is 80% of our healthcare costs. So I think that's the big thing that we promoted onto our living is that's why rest is our first pillar. Because if you're not stressed, we know is there, but are we getting enough recovery? And, and again, we all do this. You know, I tell the story of, of I was in the Grand Canyon. I got stuck in the Grand Canyon. And one of the things I did is I went in the, uh, the Colorado River, and it's like 55 degrees. And so I stayed overnight in the Grand Canyon. I was completely a mess. And then I went and did about five minutes in the Colorado River, and it re- completely rejuvenated me to handle more. And so I think that's the challenge in, in, our, in our society is that when we have enough recovery, we have enough space, we can handle that stress that we're facing every day. It, we've all done this. When you're really stressed out and you don't have any recovery, people start making bad decisions, their health gets sideways, digestion shuts down, and and they have problems, you know, blood pressure goes up and the list goes on. So it's a real problem in the United States today. Number one is it's prevalent everywhere, can't avoid it. And number two, we need to get learning how to teach people how to recover during their day. And if they can do that, then they're gonna, they're gonna, and that's what I do personally. I always make sure I have enough space. Sleep's a big deal. Diaphragmatic uh, uh, breathing's a big deal, and making sure I'm taking micro breaks throughout my day. And that's really how I try to handle my own stress. And some days are better than others. Epsom right. salt baths at least once or twice a week. And craziness yesterday, I was speaking in Grand Rapids all day, and then I got a massage on my way home. So that was part of my stress reducer. <laughs> right. Right. So. Can you give some pointers? Like I know I've had, I've worked at organizations where it's, they want high output all day long. Do you have any tips for, for people that feel like they're in that, that type of a position where they don't, they're not given time to relax during the day? Well, I think, I think more and more organizations, especially from the top, they have to understand that peak performance is all based on increments, right? It's like it's like training. I used to train the, our trainers, and the trainers would crush their clients. And I'm like, anybody can crush your client if you take away the rest. So it's like during the workday, you can't be on all day long. You need to work hard. And every 90 minutes, you probably need to have some kind of recovery break if you're trying to create peak performance. It's not about the time. It's about the quality. It's the same thing we teach nutritionally. We can talk about quantity, calories, but really it's quality of the food you put in the body. It's the quality of my recovery breaks. And if you can do that, people feel better and they perform better. And we always talk about this. We spend eight hours or more a day at our work. That needs not to be an added stressor. It needs to be somewhere where you can rejuvenate. We have a gym here at our facility. One of the things I'm always on everybody's butt about, hey, you need to get in there and move your body. Well, I don't have time. You don't have time. <laughs> this, I'm telling you to go, and, I, and I'm the boss, right? So again, we need to really change the mindset in corporate America that you can't grind people up into dust. It doesn't work. 
And you want to be working hard intrinsically, not because it's extrinsically. You're not doing. You're doing it because you want to. You're excited and motivated. And personally, that's how I always. You know, I, I used to work a lot of hours at the Michigan Athletic Club way back in the day as the fitness director, but I didn't mind working 12 hours, but I'm definitely having some recovery during the day. I'm working out, I'm maybe taking a hot and cold shower, or there's ways to recover during the day, maybe taking a, uh, you know, a five-minute nap or diaphragmatic breathing. So I think that's what's going on out there. But if you really th- want to create peak performance, optimal health with your people, you got to take care of your people. Right. Yeah. So that's from like kind of a top down approach. If someone, let's say someone's at an organization right now and the organization doesn't, doesn't understand that yet. Do you, what are, what are some tips? I know you touched on like diaphragmatic breathing, things like that. Can you give us some practicals like, Hey, if you have 30 seconds, try this type. Yeah. I mean, I think diaphragmatic breathing and breath awareness is magical. I mean, if you just closed your eyes and you take a deep breath the belly actually expands and it slowly comes back in. That's a diaphragmatic belly breath. And as soon as you do any type of diaphragmatic breathing, you stimulate the vagus nerve, and the vagus nerve goes up in the brain and relaxes the body. So we all know that from athletics. If you're trying to get people to relax and be at their, their zone or peak performance, they have to change how they breathe. The same thing with stress. As soon as you get stress, your herring brewer receptors in your lungs are stimulated. And so now my breath gets shorter. So we can always tell when people are more stressed, their breathing starts to change. So it's a really easy t- way to not only quiet the mind, relax your heart rate, your blood pressure is just how you change how you're breathing. And it's simple, but like anything else, it's a practice. Right. You know, one of the things that um, that I learned that I, that you you practice and teach people um, and this might not be a good workplace uh, activity, but candle gazing. Can you talk about that? I thought that was super interesting when when I first heard you teach that idea. Yeah, there was a you know you've got you've heard of Dr. Phil Nuremberger. He was on our podcast about the Power of Mind interviewed with Matt, and he was one of the training. I learned from him many of these things. But one of the things that fascinated me way back in the day is you know how do you teach people how to meditate? Because it's you know, sometimes people want to jump in, but candle gazing is the first form of concentration. And that's really what meditation is all about. So I thought it was a really easy way that he started teaching people, especially all these advisors. These financial advisors were go-getters, they're high performers, type A personalities, and you couldn't quiet their mind at all. And you'd have them do candle gazing. And if you stare at a candle with good posture and you don't blink, and so it's a really easy way to focus on your breath. You're not blinking. And now it really kind of washes the mind. You're, you're completely relaxed. So I had a friend of mine recently, just got divorced. He's got three young kids. And he goes, is there anything I can do to help my kids sleep better? And he's got young kids. I mean, they're like seven and six and four. I said, why don't you try candle gazing tonight? So I have actually a photo he sent me. They're sitting around the table and they're staring at the candle. And then he says... I cannot believe it, but they all came back and said they started they were sleeping better. And then now they're asking to do candle gazing on a regular basis. So you're gonna see this more in schools, you're gonna see this more in organizations. And again, it's something that if you can't get a good night's sleep, maybe prior to bed, you light a candle, you stare at it. As soon as you blink, you start the exercise over, and you might do that two or three times for two or three minutes and 
completely quiets the mind in getting you ready for a great night's sleep. So it's a real great tool to learn how to concentrate and learn how to quiet the mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most people can probably relate to, you know, like a summer campfire. It's like you, it seems like you could stare at a campfire for hours and it's just, everyone's happy. Just, just relax around a campfire. And it's, it's, basically the same thing and as you know sometimes when you're staring at a campfire it's amazing the conversations that come up because now you're really into the whole creative the mind is really relaxed yeah and you're tapping into more stuff and so when people are stressed they're not being creative they're not being innovative they can't so when you're really tapping into other parts of the mind and that's when the mind get completely gets relaxed so back to your original question is why aren't organizations doing it well the best ones are and you're going to see that grow. I mean, that's what we that's that's our mission to help companies be have their people be their best. And that's a big part of that is learning how to do some of these simple things. Right. That's awesome. OK, let's let's shift gears a little bit. Can you talk about thyroid problems? Um, maybe some things people can do to help with those problems. If you really step back and again, I'm always curious of what countries are really having thyroid problems and not many except the United States. So you got to ask the question, why is the thyroid, again, thyroid, basically the adrenals are really a part of the, that's the whole stress thing. So back to the stress, if you're really trying to get people to help, you know, replenish their thyroid, number one is they, they can't overstimulate the adrenal glands. So if I feel threatened, the adrenals shoot all sorts of hormones out and that's what happens. Number two, minerals, having a good diet, the minerals support the thyroid. So when I'm working with people, if they don't have good minerals, they don't have a good diet, wheatgrass is one of the reasons why we promote it because it's high in minerals. But when people start having the right minerals, example, magnesium, magnesium is a mineral relaxation, it really helps support the thyroid. Number two, do you have stress strategies throughout the day? We just talked about the breathing. Do I do an Epsom salt bath in the evening, maybe before bed? These are all ways to help the thyroid take a break. So imagine during their day, you're going 900 miles an hour, you got the accelerator on, what's going on with your thyroid? It's getting destroyed. And it's no wonder that it's not just a female thing anymore, it's a male thing too, that our thyroid is just getting beat up. And we see a lot of that with measuring testosterone. So a lot of times people are looking at their thyroid, you know, T3 and T4 and this and that, and we, that's all good. But I can always tell if their testosterone level is dropping, they're probably going to have thyroid issues because the testosterone is a great measurement for how we age. So again, if people have thyroid issues out there, number one is you got to start paying attention to getting more rest. And number two, how important your diet is to help replenish those minerals. And again, you said this earlier, if you have acid reflux, you have an acidic type diet. If you have an acid diet, you're probably going to have a thyroid issue down the road. So again, all these new crazy diets that we're seeing today, including the keto, is you're probably going to see more and more thyroid problems cropping up like they are today. So again, we're not getting enough, you know, getting that pH balance in the body, which leads to mineral depletion, which leads to more thyroid lack of support. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I know you've touched on the keto diet, things like that. We've we've talked about that in the past. So. Um, you know, you wrote a great a blog on that. So if people want to look that up um, and check that out, they should. But, you know, I think we have this fixation on protein. You know, when you work out, you got to have protein. It's like protein bars, protein powders. 
you know, like how much protein do we need? Can you just kind of clear the air on, on protein for us a little bit? Well, it's interesting. I was speaking yesterday and after all the stuff, uh, a woman came up to me and she said, you know, about macro, she was saying, you know, I just don't have a lot of energy during my workout. Well, if you don't have good energy, carbohydrates are really where most of your energy comes from on top of daily movement and getting sleep and recovery and all these things. But when you think about the three macronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, how did we get sideways thinking one was so much better than the other? You know, back in the 80s, it was the fat was the villain. In the 90s, it was the carbohydrates, the villain, and protein was the king. And, you know, today the keto is fats, the king, and, you know, carbohydrates are still the villain. So what we have to understand is we need all three macronutrients relatively in balance. So I tell most of my clients, or when I'm talking about 60, 40 to 60% of your calorie intake a day should come from carbohydrates you know, 20 to 25% from proteins and fats, you just need a balance. And if you're eating more whole, whole foods back to the source, it's really difficult not to get a little bit of car- good carbs, good proteins and fats. Right. But when we have the thought process that we can't eat a piece of fruit or you can't eat a tomato or, or the list goes on and we think protein is the only way to get leaner and have energy. No, it's a combination of all, all of them. And a diet that's too high in protein will be in an acid diet. So if the body's too acidic, you're going to see lots of mineral depletion, which is going to lead to unhealthy body and mind at some point in time. So again, the whole thing is, is I like some of these diets out there. If you can just modify them and make them your own, but don't think some of these whole foods are, are not good for you. B vitamins. I mean, we love talking about oatmeal around here or teff or amaranth. These are B vitamins, ancient grains that create all this relaxation. So if we're looking at these diets out there, what we're seeing holes in is that we're, we're, we're going into the macronutrients and we're limiting one. And it keeps making the spin. So like 80s was this, 70s was this, 90s was this, and today we're, again, <laughs> I, and I still compete in bodybuilding. People say this all the time. Do you eat fruit and oatmeal and raisins and all these things when you're bodybuilding? Absolutely. Why would I want to take them out of my diet? So I always ask the question, why are you on the diet? What are you trying to accomplish? And most people are trying to be leaner and, and losing weight. And reality is you can have it without cutting one of these carbs or proteins or fats out of your diet. But yeah, how many people say, hey, I want to put more carbohydrates into my smoothie no, they want protein. Do you ever see, hey, can I have more carbohydrates in my protein bar, right? Yeah. They don't call it a carbohydrate bar. They call it a protein bar. So, again, there is a fetish or a mindset that we need more protein. We don't. We need a balance of protein, balance of carbs, balance of fats. And I think um, you know, my perception of protein prior to starting here was um, protein's great. Have as much as you want eat all the protein, eat all the, you know, steaks, great, you know, all the stuff, it's the potatoes that are the problem, you know, so there are, there are side effects to eating just a ton of protein, right? Well, again, like anything else, if I'm eating too much protein, proteins are amino acids, your body does slowly or relatively quickly move more acid. And so again, it speeds things up. So it's a way for people that flushes out water each Carbohydrates hold your muscle, liver, muscle and liver holds water, four moles of water, and it's easy when you take car, slowly take carbs out of the body. The body doesn't have the water anymore, and you start losing weight. 
But the real side effect, in my opinion, when people are eating too many carbs or too many proteins and they're not out of balance, is not only it leaches minerals out, the body becomes acidic, but it puts a lot of stress in your kidneys. And that's called glomerular filtration rate. For those listening out there, you need to get your blood test. And again, they can go to our website, hit resources, click on the handouts, and one of them is called Know Your Numbers. And at the bottom of the page, it's called GFR, glomerular filtration rate. It's kidney function. And what I'm seeing in my world right now, I'm getting all these young, predominantly males, reaching out to us about this or that, and their GFR is in the mid-60s to 70s when reality should be over 100, 110. So I tell them right away, I can already see by what their numbers are. You're eating way too much protein and not out of balance here. And they're like, how'd you know that? I'm like, because your GFR is dropping. So you're seeing a lot of these side effects of these diets by overconsuming too much of whatever, including protein. And that's the side effect of protein is that it puts a lot of stress in your kidneys if you're taking in too much. And that's that's a problem. Right. Can you talk about your oxidation while we're on Know Your Numbers and all that good stuff? Yeah, again, and when, when we look at most people... You know, they've had their cholesterol checked and they've had this. And we even have a podcast on cholesterol. But the big thing people have to understand is what is their risk. So if you're getting a blood test, that's why we have a one-sheet Know Your Numbers. Because it's so simple. You just take it to your doctor. But one of the tests that most people have no idea, it measures oxidation, is called homocysteine. And homocysteine is one of the biggest risk factors for having a heart attack. So if you don't know your homocysteine, you really don't know your risk for heart attack. Hence, why would you be put on a statin med to lower cholesterol if you don't even know your risk? If you take these carbohydrates out of the body, your oxidation levels go way up. So I've seen people calling me up and say, you know, gosh, this and this and this. And I'll tell them the story. I had a woman way back in the day at the Michigan Athletic Club when I was training her. This woman comes to see me. She's 52 years old and she is rock solid. She is a lean, mean fight machine. And she's concerned about her risk for heart attack because her sister had a heart attack. So I got into her diet, and she does. She was protein, low carbs. And I'm saying, you know, I, I, I need to look at your blood test. For a handful of weeks will go by. She finally gets her blood test. She comes back, and her homocysteine's at 52. I've never seen anything over 20. It's at 52. And I'm saying, your homocysteine level should be less than 10. And she never came back to see me because she didn't want to change her diet. Crazy thing is, at age 61, she had a heart attack. And so, again, you try not to scare people, but you have to understand that if you don't know your homocysteine, you don't know your risk factor. And a lot of that is, is I need to make sure I'm eating a balance of good carbs, good proteins, and fats. But that's the oxidation marker that we're not paying attention to because there's no medications for it. Right. It's a lifestyle. So on that note, there there is a way to be, you know, for people that are trying to be super lean, they're trying to get cut, you know, whether they're competing or they just want to look good. What are some ways you can do it without just packing in protein and cutting everything out? Well, I tell people I do the same thing every time. So when I'm getting ready for a contest, it's simple, but it's not easy. And I eat in the center of the food target for three months. And people are like, what? I said, if it has more than three ingredients, I don't, I don't eat it. And then the second piece is I really pay attention to going to 12 to 14 hours. There's a lot about intermittent fasting. I I think intermittent fasting is a good thing. It's just hard to do. So 16 hours is really difficult for people. They need to know exactly what they're doing because if they don't, eight hours of eating is not a lot of time. 
And so you kind of have to know what you're getting because if you don't, you're going to be missing nutrients. So one of the things I used to do is go 12 hours every day without eating. So I would eat, stop eating at 7 p.m. and I would get, eat again at 7 a.m. So it was a really easy way to get my body to clean itself. So you're fasting at night versus fasting, fasting at night. It's easy, simple, easy. And that's a thing we recommend for everybody, 12 hours. So if you've eaten at 8 p.m., don't eat again until 8 a.m. It's easy to do. And then once or twice a week, I might go 14 hours, 16 hours without eating. Usually I do that on Saturday. So I started, timing was a big thing when I'm competing. Number two was the food quality. Three ingredients set in the target. And then from there, I actually would increase the amount of uh, the frequency of eating. So I would go 12 hours without eating, and then I would eat every three hours. And they'd be tiny meals, relatively small meals. But the food quality was everything. So my calorie levels went down a little bit. My food quality went way up. I paid attention to my timing. And my workouts don't really even change. I stay, and we all do this. We take liberties. But really for about three months, there's no liberties. And that's the hard part. So again, if, but that's getting up on stage and you got to be as lean as you possibly can. Right. But I always really try to pride myself competing. It's a comp- competition about your about, between yourself. But I wanted to be as best I could without giving up anything. I never gave up my oatmeal. I never compromised the, the quality of the, the carbs, proteins, and fats. I never deleted one of them. I never carb loaded. I never carb depleted. I didn't do any of that. I didn't up my protein. I didn't do any of that. Don't do any of that stuff. And so that's really how I learned how to get leaner, but also keep my, my health at the same time. And I think that's where a lot of people go sideways when they're trying to lose weight. They're going to give up some of their health to get to that point, and you don't have to. Right. Can you talk about the frequency of eating? You know, I've, you know, I think, I think maybe you or Matt mentioned this, um, something about, you know, like it's basically the inverse of what sumos do. Yeah. So way back in the day, I wrote a book titled Meal Patterning. And back in the early nineties, I was fascinated. I wrote, read an article about sumo wrestlers and how they gain their weight. And everybody at this large health club, we had 10,000 members, everybody's trying to lose weight. And I started looking at how do the sumos gain their weight? They're the biggest people on the planet. And then for them to perform at a higher level, they actually would try to gain weight. And so most sumo wrestlers came in the in the scene about 350 pounds, but the best sumers are 550 on up. So I started looking at, well, how do they do that? They eat one meal a day. Well, are they eating a bunch of crap? No, they're eating high quality food, but they eat so much at one setting. So when I hear about intermittent fasting, this and that, they are they are the kings at intermittent fasting. Right. They're only eating one meal a day. But what we're not talking enough about is that when you overeat so much food at one time, their insulin levels went through the roof. Their insulin levels were elevated for two to three hours. And when insulin's overproduced, because if I've eaten too much, we've all done this at Thanksgiving, as insulin's overproduced, insulin's a storing hormone. Also, insulin's a hunger hormone. So we all know this when we've eaten Thanksgiving dinner, we might have three or four or 5,000 calories, and we take our nap, and then we get up, we're starving. Well, how can I be hungry when I've just had 5,000 calories? Because you still have insulin circulating in the bloodstream. Mm. The second thing the, ins- the sumo wrestlers were champs at is they understood lipase. Lipase is a fat-storing enzyme. So when people are doing more fasting, their enzymes get more sensitive to storing. And so not only they overproduce insulin, but they really had very sensitive lipase enzymes because that's how they were trained. So they would eat for about an hour 
and they would eat all this food and then they wouldn't eat for the next 23 hours and they'd start that all over again. So an average sumo meal for the day would be between 4,500 and 6,000 calories at one sitting. And you're thinking, well, that's a lot of calories. If you spread that over the day, that is not a crazy, I mean, it's a lot of calories, but it's not crazy. Yeah. So when I'm trying to get leaner, I do the opposite. I mean, doing small, smaller meals more frequently throughout the day. So I'm not overproducing insulin. I'm not making my lipase enzymes super sensitive. My energy level is fantastic. So again, it's an easy way for me to continue because I'm not starving. I just, but it's regimented. And I think so if people are trying to get leaner, go 12 hours without eating, then eat, start eating a couple smaller meals throughout the day. And you do that every three to four hours. And if you're eating high quality foods and moving your body a little bit and good, good sleep, your body will react to that. So you're still you're still doing a certain level of fasting, but how do you transition safely out of fasting into into eating that day, if that makes sense? So if I have I, again, I start my morning with my superfoods. So if I, again I get up in the morning, so if I said, hey, today I had dinner at eight o'clock p.m. I'm not again until 8 a.m. I might get up in the morning at 6.30 and do my cod liver oil and my wheatgrass. I don't really consider that eating. And then, depends on what I'm going to do, then I'm going to eat somewhere after that 8 a.m. range. I'm just going to be a little bit more focused on that. I think for most of the listeners out there that don't need to have that regiment, you know, that stiffness, it's just something to think about that, oh, okay, I need to go maybe 12 hours without eating. And then where I think a lot of people think, like, I'm going to save calories I'm going to skip a meal or two. Well, that's the way the sumo wrestlers think. Right. So again, get let's get away from that because we know lipase enzymes become more sensitive. And if you haven't eaten in a long time, you're probably going to eat stuff that you, you're going to get sideways. So we've all done that fall off the rails. But if I'm eating frequent small meals throughout the day and I feel great, I'm probably not going to have to reach for a lot of things that we are craving. It's already there. But it's, again, it's a little bit more structure, a little bit more plan. And I'm not a guy that does meal prepping on Sunday. That never happens. It's just making simple, easy things throughout the day that keeps your energy level great. And hopefully you can keep your waistline down on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, plus, I mean, so most of my life I didn't really eat breakfast. And then so it's been it's been really nice to have snacks throughout the day and things like that like actually i feel better and i'm happier because i'm not like man i'm so hungry it's only 10 o'clock i'm really hungry i can't wait for lunch so it's actually harder to go without well you know i was talking to this one young man and you know he he's very into health and fitness and he's in high school and so i was talking to him we got on the phone and he does bulletproof coffee and you know he's 14 years old and i'm like bulletproof coffee a stick of butter and your coffee and you don't eat till two o'clock in the afternoon and you're right in the peak growth state i'm like you're in the mindset that why am i not eating you should be being embracing food and understanding it how it fuels the body but you're thinking that you can't eat until two o'clock in the afternoon and then you only eat until seven you only eat for about five hours it's almost impossible for you to get high quality foods in balance in that five hour range but the mindset is that I'm going to get up in the morning and I do bulletproof coffee and I add some, you know, I got some fat and some octane with the caffeine and it makes me leaner and I'm staying focused. Yeah, but your minerals are going to be depleted. Your pH gets out of balance. Eventually, you're going to have problems sleeping and you're 14. Yeah, I think um, that 
you know, a lot of people make those points, but what it sounds like is like short-term gains. Like I've laser focused, I'm doing great. Like, like this is awesome. This is the best I've ever felt. But like, what, what does that look like 20 years from now? Well, in laser focus, sometimes I'm like, uh, this is called amphetamines. And so what we don't understand is the neurotransmitters in the brain. I mean, that's what energy drinks. They have taurine, choline, L-carnitine. These are hypertrophic stimulants. They're, they're stimulants. They're amino acid stimulants. So when we start switching over fuel, that's the keto, we're switching out of like a balance of carbs, proteins, and fats to only fat. The body burns these ketones, and next thing you know, like, hey, man, I have this great focus. Yeah, but, you know, three months from now, you can't relax. You can't stay asleep because your neurotransmitter is out of balance. We talk a lot about uh, GABA and, you know, serotonin, the relaxing neurotransmitters. We even have a drink out there called Dream Water, and Dream Water puts you to relaxing or sleep. It's full of GABA. On the other stream is energy drinks. That's taurine, choline, all that kind of stuff. So when we're consuming foods and things that really make my focus jacked up, you got to understand you're getting out of balance. Dopamine's at a high level, adrenaline's at a high level, and you're not relaxed. You don't have the ability to relax the body. So you might have that great focus, but now I can't sleep. And you might have that great focus, but my blood pressure is too high. And that list goes on versus how do we create optimal health and performance and do it in a way that we feel good? Versus we have to have these stimulants. And again, the short term, yeah, I might have this great focus, but if I don't have good focus, I need to do some things like diaphragmatic breathing or take a little break or, you know, things like that. But it's sure not having these stimulants. I mean, stimulants are everywhere now. I mean, everybody thinks you can't make it through the day without some form of stimulant. Wow. So are there, so what are some healthy ways to boost your energy? What are some healthy plays that people can do well you know in our book capacity you know matt talks a lot about this but you know focus energy drive you know if you can learn how to focus your attention that's the greatest skill we can learn but we're not teaching that how do you actually get people to be focused you need to help them quiet the mind and you know when you have this monkey mind when you buy but you're basically going from thing to thing to thing to thing so there's strategies to help with that also what we eat, if you have optimal glucose level, you're going to have greater focus throughout the day. On top of it, you're going to have this amazing energy. So when we think about energy, we're trying to manufacture it every day. So manufactured energy is everywhere, whether it's caffeine or nicotine or um, you know anything that has to do with teen. It just, it's just a matter of like, okay, what are we doing here? When reality is, it's sunlight. It's daily movement. It's getting enough sleep. It's micro breaks during your day. It's the foods we eat. I mean, these things all build your energy and then you protect it. We know that like stress is an energy vampire. So if I'm not getting enough recovery, my stress levels build high, that's going to sap my energy level. So again, the biggest, the greatest resource we have is how to build and protect your energy. When people have great energy, they just, they're on fire. And then last but not least, we talk about drive, and that's motivation. The more you can get people to move intrinsically motivated, doing it because you want to. But, I, but sometimes I have to ask the question is, why are we chasing energy? It's hard to measure. But people know when they're feeling great, they have great energy. You've had a good night's sleep. Last night, I had amazing night's sleep. I got a massage on my way home. I had an early dinner. 
kind of wound down, did a little reading, and man, I slept great. And I had to get up early for a presentation today, but we all know when we are sleep gets sideways, energy levels out the door. And then we need processed foods to pick us up. We need, you know, sodas, we need coffee, we need whatever um, to raise us up on top of the other stuff that we're pouring into the body for energy. So it's a, it's a turned into a major problem in the United States is poor energy. And a lot of times people don't even know how the good they could feel. I think um, people get really hopeless. You know, they, they don't really know where they could be. I know you guys talk about this all the time. How do, how do people get inspired? Where would you start? Well, I think the thing I always ask the question to audiences is the power of feeling your best. Do you ever feel fantastic? And some people are like, I I don't know. My dad was always one we taught. He goes, you know, you really, you really feel good, don't you? I go, yeah, dad, I feel really good. And he goes, I just don't even know what that feels like. I think sometimes over, over the time, we just sometimes get away from. I I don't I'm I'm numb to it. You know, I'm numb to. I don't, I don't have any space in my life. I don't sleep well. I eat crap. I'm putting this in my body. I don't really know what it feels like. So again, you almost have to get people to start from the beginning. And once you get them to experience a little bit about having one or two good days, they're like, okay, I want this. This is what I want. I don't want to feel crummy. Nobody really wants to feel bad. But sometimes they don't think, they don't know how to do it. That's why we have rest, eat, move. It's not just one thing. It's a combination of getting enough rest and make sure you're fueling the body with food and getting some daily movement. And it doesn't have to be that hard. It's just putting it all together. And when you start doing that, it starts building. So the listeners out there, you feel like you're not, I don't know how good I could feel. You start with some real basic steps and that builds and builds and builds as simple as drinking enough water. I know from sometimes during the day, I feel like, Oh, my energy is not that great. I'm like, how much water did I drink today? You know, it's an easy thing not to, not to do. Yeah, but if you're doing some of the basic things like breathing and getting enough water, right now we're in this environment. Let's get a little energy. We just change how we breathe, or we could get up and move around for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Let me let me jump into blood pressure just for a second. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Tell us about blood pressure. Give us some basic stuff. Yeah, so and- we 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 have a whole podcast on blood pressure. So I'm not going to go in the weeds on this, but. It was interesting. I was having a conversation with this uh, this guy the other day, and we got talking about this and that. And one of the things I was telling him about is Dr. Phil Nuremberger's interview with Matt about the power of the mind. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, everybody, I would highly recommend it. So I was telling him a little bit about it, and I said, what we don't really understand is the power of the mind and how to how to change things around and talk about stress and stuff that we've already kind of approached upon. But I started talking a little bit about is like blood pressure. I said, blood pressure is an imbalance of the autonomic nervous system. You have the sympathetic nervous system. You have the parasympathetic nervous system. It's the gas pedal and the brake. It's the imbalance between the two. But very rarely is the medical world talking about that. So if you walked in and you said, hey, Chris, I have high blood pressure, I would say, Stephen, it's an imbalance of your autonomic nervous system. And then you would say, tell me more. How does that work? Well, if your autonomic nervous system is out of balance, your sympathetic nervous system is on, that's the gas. All day long, your adrenals, we talked about the adrenals, adrenaline's high, uh, dopamine, you know, we're, we're running like, you know, the, the monkey mind. Well, 
if you do that, the sympathetic nervous system throws out adrenaline all the time. It throws out cortisol all the time. And what does that do? It raises your heart rate. It raises your brain waves. It raises your blood pressure. That's how your blood pressure goes up. So when I'm exercising and running, my sympathetic nervous system is on and that's raising my heart rate and everything else. That's what it should do. But if, it, if it's going all day long, you can see how blood pressure starts to rise. So most people in our country that have high blood pressure, it's an imbalance of their nervous system. He said, what are you talking about? I've never heard this before. I said, well, when you, you, what do you mean you never heard of it? He goes, I have high blood pressure. I'm on this medication. I'm on this medication. You're just talking about calcium channel blockers, talking about angiotensin drugs, talking about beta blockers. What do they do? And I said, well, basically they shut Calcium channel blockers shut down calcium. Calcium's a contractor. Beta blockers shut out the beta receptors. Relaxes, shuts everything down. That's how the medications work, back to the symptom. He says, you mean to tell me that if I could learn how to relax my mind, it would lower my blood pressure? I said, exactly right. He goes, I said, but here's the sad part. Did you ever have that opportunity to have that conversation with your health professional? He said, they never even brought that up. I said, you're a highly motivated person. It would be easy for you to do this. He goes, tell me what to do. And so I told him the diaphragmatic breathing, the breath awareness, micro breaks during the day, Epsom salt baths, foods high in magnesium, all the stuff we talked about in our podcast on blood pressure. And he was so disappointed that the medical world never even brought that up. They just gave him these medications. And the reason he's saying this, these medications he's on, he feels terrible. He has no energy, he has really no zest for life right now, and he really feels like he's depressed. In reality, he's not depressed. He's has low energy based from his meds. So when you think about blood pressure, everybody, it's an imbalance of your nervous system. Now, obviously, there's certain things you can eat nutritionally or daily movement. That all helps, but it really begins with the problem, the imbalance of the nervous systems. And you talked about this earlier. These diets that are overstimulating focus will definitely raise your blood pressure because the nervous system will be out of balance. And that's why you have this amazing focus. Hey, I can't yeah. <laughs> I can't sleep, but you're just always on. Can't 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 recover. You don't you can't quiet the mind. If you had somebody that was on some of this stuff and you had them candle gazing, there's no way they could candle gaze. They would like, this is driving them crazy because they can't over, or allow their body to recover. And that's really what we just need to share that with people. It's an imbalance of the autonomic nervous system. The human body is so incredible when we really go back to the, the source of what's happening. Wow. So the other thing is, um, you know, you talked about side effects of medicine, but just imagine the cost on our society, on individuals for all the medication when they could just be doing some simple things that don't really cost anything. Well, again, I kind of started out with this, but the article I, I'm reading about Norway and researching that and talking about a habit of coffee and a habit of cod liver oil, but type 2 diabetes is it's killing our country. We have 30 million in, in 1970, we had 500,000. We could have 100 million type 2 diabetics in the next five to eight years, a third of our population. The average diabetic is costing the system about $10,000 a year. So we start doing the math on this stuff, and it's so fixable. I mean, again, back to what we said earlier about the blood pressure, it's a, it's a nervous system problem. 
diabetes is a cell problem. When the cell gets gummed up and rigid, it's very difficult for insulin to open up the cell. So glucose can't be in can't get fed into the cell, and so my my glucose levels go up. So if my glucose levels go up, next thing you know, I'm pre-diabetic. Or now I'm full-blown type 2 diabetic. We're not talking about type 1. We're talking about type 2. When reality is if you could make that cell membrane soft and permeable, allows insulin to easily open up the cell, glucose comes in, feeds the cell, and the body becomes very healthy. So we know that type 2 diabetes is so fixable if you make that cell membrane soft and permeable. One of the easiest ways to do that is take cod liver oil every morning because that's what it does. And if you could throw some other things in there like daily movement and making sure you're drinking enough water and sleep, you can you can basically heal type 2 diabetes. So that's what we get so passionate about because we've seen it for you know for 35 years, but we're not we're not touching enough people. I and mean, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast today is we're trying to let people know that most of the stuff that you're seeing is lifestyle related. Medications can actually fit a great role. But for most medications we're dealing with right now in the United States, they're lifestyle medications. About 80% of our prescription medications are lifestyle related, whether it's sleep or blood pressure or cholesterol. These are all lifestyle medications. And we're not going after the the source of the problem. We keep going after the Band-Aid or the symptom. Yeah. And the interesting thing, too, is nobody wants to feel bad. No one wants to be type 2 diabetic, all these things. But then also often people are like, I don't want to be overweight. I want to lose weight. I want all these different things. And they're all essentially tied together. There's a correlation between all these. Your body's, you know, all the systems work together. So often people could knock out all these birds with one stone if, you know, if they took care of some of this stuff, right? Well, and I think you're making a fantastic point is if you follow a process the outcomes will be over here. Sometimes we get so focused on the outcomes, we're not focused on the process. So a lot of people want to lose weight. They want to just get on the scale and look at it and make sure things are going. But in reality is if I get up in the morning and I've done my 12-hour you know, not eating and then I'm eating high-quality foods and drinking enough water and move my body a little bit during the day, the outcome will always happen. My brain gets better. I feel better. I have better energy. And then you start thinking about medications, whether it's cholesterol or type 2 diabetes or inflammation or uh, your digestive health. They're all related. Now, they might rear their head differently, but when you start building this foundational underneath people, I used to have clients come in and they're five, six, seven medications. And I wouldn't focus on any of the medications. I would just focus on the process. And I would make sure they were really comfortable understanding that I'm addressing everything you're talking to me about. I might be focusing on your blood pressure medication. I'm, yeah, this is why we're doing breathing. If, if you're having problems with uh, cholesterol, I'm really helping you to bring in these healthy fats. But the overall arching is you're getting the human body healthy. And as the body gets healthy, all these things start to slowly disappear. And that's what we're not f- really worried about. And again, you made a great point is, you know, I'm focused on this and focused on that. Reality is if you get people to focus on a process that they enjoy, that's kind of the magic. Because the process is everything. Everybody's all, Everybody has habits. You have them, I have them, everybody has habits. It's just a matter of how do you slowly change some of those habits that really enhance what their goals are. And that's, that, that's the challenge everybody faces. But I think the big problem we face at On Target Living 
is that people think they need to do everything overnight and they don't. It's just about building habits. Great. All right. Send us off with something. Give us, give us something to inspire everyone. We got pretty deep there. Well, I think as we're, we're wrapping this up is that we have to understand that Rome wasn't built in a day. And so where, wherever you are, the goal is to how do you think about what do you truly want and get specific with that. Number two, what's your driver? What's your purpose? You know, that, that really gets people to pull them up. Like, what is my purpose? Why do I want to be healthy? Why do I want to lose weight? Get a little deep with that. Take some time. And then you start thinking about what habit do I want to build? What one or two habits do I want to build? And that's the magic over time is like, okay, I can do that. I can take that cod liver oil. I can drink more water. I've never thought about changing how I breathe. You can do the breathing exercise on the way or to work or away home or during during work. So all that adds up over time. And I think that's where people get sideways. And there's so much garbage out there. There's so much misinformation. It's hard to know what's right and what's wrong. But we want to be that resource for everybody to, to reach out to us. And you can pick up the phone, shoot us an email. We're happy to help you. Cool. Well, thanks, Chris. You've answered a ton of my questions and then some of our um, fan questions. And uh, if anyone has any any questions they'd like us to go to uh, or answer in future podcasts, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you, know, you want to give them your email, Chris? Yeah, my email is just my name, Chris Johnson at ontargetliving.com. So feel free. If you have a specific question you want to talk about, shoot me an email. We have a phone number to call too. So we have a fantastic team. And we're glad that you're part of our team. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Also, I have one shameless plug here at the end. Um, We're building a video platform that I'm super excited about. You know, people have been asking for a long time. Uh, They see you speak. They see Matt, Kristen speak. They say, what do we do next? Well, I'm trying to solve that problem. (laughs) Making We're making an app and it's going to be full of awesome video content that you can enjoy. We saw your we saw the first step yesterday and you did a wonderful job making us look good. Yeah, so it, it takes it, a lot. Yeah, it does take a lot. Yeah, so I appreciate that. <laughs> it makes it look good. So we're really excited about that product. So everyone keep your eyes open for that. It'll be uh, on Target Living's video app platform. So um, we'll announce that in the future. But uh, again, Chris, thanks for answering questions and look forward to next time. Thanks, Steven. <laughs>